Welcome to Evidence to Excellence, news in neuroplasticity and rehab powered by The Recovery Project. We want to personally welcome and thank you for joining us today. We're glad that you're here because this podcast is designed to keep you updated on what's new in research and evidence in the neurorehabilitation world. Now, here's your host, Polly Swingle, CEO and co-owner of The Recovery Project. Welcome, everybody, to the next episode of Evidence to Excellence. My name is Polly Swingle, and I'm going to be your host today. And if you don't know who I am, I am one of the owners of The Recovery Project. I'm also a PT at heart, and I have hosted this podcast now for, boy, I think it's been a couple years. So today, I am sitting in Lansing, Michigan, where I am sitting with our incredibly awesome team out here. And today we're going to talk about functional movement disorder. And we will be giving you guys some references later on if anybody listening to this is interested in attending our program or just interested in additional information. So again, um, if you are ever looking for things regarding what we do here at the Recovery Project, our website is really great that gives you resources and information of what we do. So here in Lansing, we have a specific program that we're really going to dive deeply into specifically for FMD. Now remember, FMD stands for Functional Movement Disorder. Um, last time I think I checked, there are only six or seven very specific multidisciplinary programs in the United States that specifically treat FMD. And we're one of them. And we have a team here that includes a PTOT speech as well as our director of program development that are experts in this field. And these guys really are experts. They've treated over 200 patients so far in our program with FMD. Um, Just a little reference, you guys. In episode nine in our podcast, I did do another podcast regarding FMD. But today's podcast podcast is really going to talk about the new evidence and there is continued evidence that is coming out on what causes FMD, um, the science behind FMD, the treatment that now we are showing that really is working towards treating FMD. So I think this is one of those diagnoses that probably on a yearly basis we hear at the Recovery Project and definitely through this podcast are going to talk about FMD. So let me give you a little bit of background first. So FMD, as I said, stands for Functional Movement Disorders, and it is the it is the motor dominant subtype of FMD. Now, oh my God, all these initials, what does that mean? So FND, and as in Nancy, stands for Functional Neurological Disorders. And I always think about it as kind of like an umbrella, where the top of the umbrella is FND, and then the FMD, the Functional Motor Disorder, is just kind of one of those prongs of one of those symptom signs that we see with a functional neurological disorder. So a functional neurological disorder is a problem with the functioning of the nervous system and how the brain and the body send and receive messages. There are physical and sometimes psychological risk factors that cause functional symptoms, which include a variety of physical, sensory, and cognitive symptoms that we see under a functional movement disorder. There again, and we're going to keep coming back to this in this podcast, there's a lot more evidence out there. And one of the pieces of evidence that we're seeing is that, well, let me back up for a minute, because if you guys remember functional neurological disorders um, in the last 10, 15, 20 years used to be called conversion disorders. And back in the day, it was really thought that a conversion disorder was very heavily weighted, that it was due to a psychological problem, due to some trauma. And what we're finding now through the evidence is that people that suffer from a functional neurological disorder and or a functional movement disorder really only have 40% that they may have some psychological issues that are involved in this functional movement disorder. So As I was saying, let's go back to the FMD. So our program specifically focuses on FMD, which is the functional movement disorder. And some of the things that we see in the patients that come see us are tremors, 
gait disorders, some dystonia, some jerking or myoclonus movements, and even some weakness. And today I have Juliana with us, which is a um, speech pathologist, because we also see deficits in speech and cognition, which we're going to get into that in a little bit, uh, in a little bit with Juliana. Um, so again, some statistics for you. Large-scale studies have, have observed that FND is really that diagnosis in the neurological world, world that is kind of hiding in plain sight. And FMD is showing up in 5 to 20% of the patients seeking neurological consults. So think about that. That is a really large portion of people that go see a neurologist and really they are after multiple testing that they are diagnosed with an FMD. And again, as I said, um, these patients that come in, what we're seeing is that 23% of the patients have a mixed diagnosis of FMD. So that means they may have a tremor and a gait deviation. They may have a gait deviation and their speech may be involved. 22% present with tremors, 18% with weakness, and 11% may present with dystonia. So FND is the second most common reason for a neurological outpatient visit after headaches or migraine. So we do have a little bit more data that the mean age of the patient that we typically see with FMD is 40 and 70% of those individuals are female. And what the evidence is now showing is that when this prognosis, this diagnosis is not treated properly, that the prognosis is very poor. So what we're going to share with you today for you other PTs out there, OTs out there, physicians out there, speech therapists, that these experts here are going to share with you how they do treat this type of diagnosis. So again, here at the Recovery Project, we have a program that's called the LIFE program. And that LIFE program stands for Learning Independent Function Every Single Day. Our program here started in 2018. And as I said earlier, we've seen over 200 patients in our program. Later on, we are going to talk to Megan Malley, who is also a doctor of physical therapy, but also the director of program development. And we are going to share with you some of our outcomes but also how you guys out there can um, reach out to us if you are interested in this type of a program. So let's go ahead and dive deeply into this, and let me introduce these awesome people that I have with me today. So first of all, as I said, I have Megan Malley, who's a doctor of physical therapy. I'm not going to chat with her right now. You guys all know her because her and I chat on these podcasts all the time, so we're going to let her sit there quietly, and hopefully she's going to keep her mouth shut. (laughs) We also have Dr. Olivia Risco, who is a physical therapist, so welcome, Olivia. And she is one of our PTs that is part of the specialty team of the FMD team. We have Alicia DeMay, who has a Master of Occupational Therapist and is also the lead therapist here in our Livonia Clinic. So thank you for being with us. And then I've already mentioned this woman who's going to be talking so much to us about speech. We have Juliana Felice Hanna, who has a Master of Speech, Language, and Pathology. And she's going to share with her, with us, all of her expertise in this area. So Let's dive into this. And I'm going to start with you, Olivia, our PT here. So let's start with just kind of a nice, easy question. As a PT, what is your focus in your treatment with FMD? Yeah. um, So I would say the role of PT is in treating and training the motor deficits as they relate to the individual symptoms that come in. So we use treatment strategies that are transferred kind of throughout all of the specialties on the patient's case, and those things include mental practice and visualization, normalizing breathing patterns during movement, and some sensory grounding in task performance. And this is all in an effort to encourage the appropriate motor patterns and regulate the nervous system. And we're not, um, this isn't just limited to PT, but we're always seeking to kind of incorporate three principles into our treatments, which is enhanced expectation, autonomy or self-agency, and external focus on task. And I'm going to get probably into that in a little bit too. So, um, awesome. so I mean, we are an evidence-based practice. You know, one of the things I think that we've learned through your team and your expertise in working with all of these patients is that we've always said at the very beginning, let's measure what we're doing to make sure 
the approaches that we're using are working. So as a PT, do you have specific outcome measures that you measure with every patient that comes into the program? Yeah, we used to actually standardize the outcome measures for each patient, but we've kind of tried to branch out a little bit recently depending on their presentation. So it isn't always the same, but in general, we have one or two gait measures like the timed up and go or the six-minute walk test, as well as a functional transfer or lower extremity strength test like the five-time sit-to-stand or 30-second chair stand. And then a balance test like the Berg or the functional gait assessment. We also always gather a patient-specific functional scale, so that allows the patient to identify and rate their ability to complete three tasks specific to them that they are wanting to um, concentrate, and then all of those are retested at the end of the week. Awesome. So just so everybody knows out there, when a patient starts into this program, and you know what? I just realized, everybody, I didn't really talk about what our program consists of. So I think we need to talk about that. That was silly me. Sorry about that, everybody. So our program is a five-day program. Mm -hmm. And um, our patients are here Monday through Friday, and they're here about six hours per day, guys, would be when they are here. And um, on the first day, Olivia, you do a, an initial evaluation, mm-hmm. and you do, like you said, your outcome measures. You kind of find out what their history is, and then mm-hmm. that's where as a team, and I know that it is so crucial that as a team you guys meet and set up, here's the areas that we need to work on to really eliminate is our goal the movement patterns that we're seeing. So during that first day, it's really an evaluation day where the PT will spend an hour with that individual and go through an evaluation. The same with our speech pathologist as well as the same with, with, with our OT. And then also during that first day, there are sessions of mindfulness, Mm -hmm. breathing. So they really do get that full day of treatment Mm -hmm. on their first day, probably, with homework as well. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, they're all shaking their head, you guys, because it's so important that there is follow-up after each full day of treatment. Perfect. Thank you, Olivia. So one of the questions that I talk to so many PTs out there, and they are a lot of PTs, OTs, and speech, I'm going to say, really aren't familiar with the FMD, either diagnosis, especially not familiar with how to treat these patients. So I'm going to start with you, Olivia, because prior to us starting this program, I know that Megan and I were on the ground floor of developing this program, and we really had to seek out a lot of education for us to say, what is the evidence showing us and how do we treat this patient? Because, Olivia, as a PT, If somebody comes in and they have a gait deficit where their leg may be internally rotated, they're dragging their toes, they're maybe dragging their leg, and maybe they even come in with a walker. Um, I would say as a PT, the first thing I would be like, okay, stick with the assisted device. Let's work on correcting, maybe strengthening And I would use all these magical tools that we have in our neurological clinics to treat this person. Mm -hmm. But is that the right approach? And what is different with the FMD population of how you treat it? Yeah, I mean, in... In some ways, it's this a similar starting point. Like you're still trying to assess and observe the limitations and impairments that you're seeing. But it is a little bit different, I guess, in approach of treatment because, yes, you're breaking down those impairments and we're taking it like step by step. But you sometimes you almost want to avoid some of the things that comes naturally to you as a clinician, which sounds kind of crazy. Um, But you have to you have to use an approach that um, is is kind of taking away from um, what the person is feeling in their body. So more of an external focus. So I kind of, I guess I can talk a little bit about that. Um, I guess, for example, if you want to do like a, if you want them to do a glute bridge, like we're trying to get some hip extension activation or something. Someone in a traditional PT sense might say, okay, squeeze your glutes. Like you want to feel your glutes when you're moving through this motion. But that is only going to like increase this abnormal attention 
in these patients and reduce their self-agency. So that is going to actually make the patient's symptoms worse. So instead, I guess we can take the same task of that glute bridge. Um, and you want to give an external cue. So holding maybe a pool noodle or something over, over their hips and have them lift to touch the pool noodle with their hips. So they're taking that attention away from their body and instead putting it on this other thing, um, which then is helping to drive more automatic movement. That, that makes so much sense because being a PT for such a long time, and especially working with in the neurological world, we are like, I want you to contract this mm-hmm. and feel this. But exactly with FMD, mm-hmm. they have all that focus on doing that. And you're exactly right. If you guys have not seen patients with this, it really causes an increase in that abnormal movement. So really taking that away and using that external stimulus is a perfect, perfect example. So Olivia, I'm going to stick with you. So we've kind of talked about some of the motor things that we see from a PT aspect and how they present. Do they, are they always consistent or is it kind of hour to hour, day to day? Do they look different sometimes? Oh yeah. I mean, it can change. It can range really significantly person to person, but also within the same person. Um, Sometimes there's people who have very clear motor symptoms or little to no motor symptoms. Um, and other times we have patients with both motor and non-motor symptoms. Um, so it really does range, um, and that can range throughout the day or depending on like how much sleep they got or what kind of like mood they're in that can change things too. You know, some of the, um, I'm, I'm a geek of reading research (laughs) and some of the, so I'm always reading on FMD and FND because again, we have this program and we are, Megan and I are one of those geeks, but we're always reading and being like, we want to make sure that we are following the evidence and that our programs consist of all this really awesome stuff. One of the newest things that I read is that that the majority now of our FMD patients, so a patient that has a motor deficit, really has other FND kind of things going on. Can you give the audience some examples of some of the patients you've seen? Like, what are some of those other things that also are going on at the same time as the movement disorder? Yeah, I think that's something that we've all like learned a lot about more recently too, that that wasn't something that I was as aware of when I was getting into this. But um, those things can be pain, fatigue, brain fog, or like other cognitive disturbances, um, sleep issues, GI upset even, um, dizziness. Uh, yeah, there's there's a whole range of things that can that can occur. So it, it sounds like during your first day in your assessment as a team, you guys are picking up on, you know, again, let's say it's a teenager, and teenagers typically, not all, but typically have very poor sleep habits, right? Or they're on their electronics till 11, 12 at night, and they're texting at 2 in the morning, that that not having that nice regulated REM sleep, we now know through evidence can directly affect a their symptoms of the functional movement disorder, but also their, also their ability of recovery. Is that a fair statement to say that? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So again, I think that's probably, you're not just saying we're going to fix that. And I'm talking to Olivia about that Mm -hmm. gait deviation, but Mm -hmm. also that we need to address these other aspects and give that education to patient, maybe caregivers, family, that all these other things that we see, if it's pain, if it's lack of sleep, um, again, changes in cognition mm-hmm. that they need to be aware of that and how to treat that. And that's one reason why Julie, Juliana is such a, a crucial part of this team because a lot of our patients may not recognize so much that there's a cognitive deficit because sometimes the motor deficit can be so pronou- pronounced, gosh, I can't even speak, <laughs> and that that's the first thing that you see that that minimal cognitive or memory or brain fog really Mm -hmm. is evident and affecting their their quality of life awesome all right we're going to move on to our ot alicia you are up so let's talk about occupational therapy again a crucial part of our team so let's first start with what is your focus with fmd what's your treatment so as always the treatment focus of occupational therapy is occupation. So meaning activities you participate in daily or weekly that are meaningful to you. Um, And I think Olivia kind of said it really nicely, like we'll address for the, um, assess the motor components of the symptoms they're facing, 
but you know everything is going to be tied to occupation. So maybe they're having a hard time reaching out to pick up the fork in order to eat the salad, um, and you know that upper body deficit is going to be tied to the function. So maybe somebody's not, you know, some people hear the word occupation, they think work. Mm-hmm. And so I know this, I mean, I'm in this world as well. Mm-hmm. But so let's say you just have a mom, you know, she's not working, but she's raising, she has a baby. Yeah. So is that something that you would then incorporate whatever those needed skills are with the movement disorder of working on if it's changing a diaper, right? Right. If it's Occupa- feeding, yep. whatever. Yeah. Occupations are just things you do that are important to you that you do, you know, throughout the day. So whether that is going to work or whether that's feeding yourself or feeding the baby or, you know, whatever the activity is that you would like to see improve, that is the occupation, how you occupy your time. I would think knowing so much about FMD that comparing kind of some of the activities that Olivia is doing, for example, she gave that great example of doing a bridge mm-hmm. that, you know, having that person use that external cue may be a little bit more difficult than if you're just trying to do something functionally. Cause in my head, the first thing that came to my mind is it's almost like a distractibility, right? Mm-hmm. So they're not so much focused on internally what's going on or how to move in that direction, but giving them, here's a baby doll and we're going to take this bottle that's weighted at something and really go through that. I would think that you may see some success with a decrease in some of the movement disorders. Is that true? Yeah. Yes and no. It's really interesting. You know, sometimes the the activity itself is can be triggering to the patient. Interesting. Um, you know, so we'll get more kind of into like the different components of FMD and the different, you know, pieces of the puzzle that, that trigger the symptoms. But, you know, sometimes that having that external focus makes it, um, easier to address, but sometimes, um, sometimes it's harder because of something maybe negative happened around that activity. I love that you said it's the piece of the puzzle mm-hmm. because I know that we as a team always talk about that and it really is. And I hope you guys are all hearing this is that it is a piece of the puzzle. You know, what Olivia was saying and that, yes, we're seeing this movement deficit, but then you can also see some of the pain or sleep, some of these other aspects that could affect the movement disorder. Before I move on to another question, Alicia, do you as an OT use any outcome measures? Yes. Yeah. So I do like, before we get to outcome measures, I just want to point out that it's really important to get a comprehensive history on the patient, really let them tell their story, get all of their backstory. What has happened to lead up to your symptoms? Um, You know, really asking them like, when were you well last and getting an idea of why, you know, how they came to this, um, scenario. So after we get that good, um, comprehensive history, I'll perform the box and blocks, the nine hole peg test, 30 second arm curl test, and the COPM, which is like similar to the, um, patient specific scale. Um, and then I'll take a five minute reading of their heart rate while they're in supine with the M wave to get a baseline coherence. And I know we're going to talk more yeah, about yeah, heart we're rate talk about the M-wave, we're going yes. so, to get into all of that later, but, um, Yes. Yeah, you know, one of the things you're going to hear is that these tools that we do use in the FMD program are used across discipline. And Mm -hmm. I think that is one of the reasons why you're seeing across the literature, you're seeing across the country that the success of the programs that are being successful really is a multidisciplinary team in that, you know, it's just, just not seeing a PT out in your area that typically we don't see as much success out there. All right, Alicia, let me ask you another question. So as I mentioned before, in the past decades ago, FMD, FND was basically diagnosed as a conversion disorder with a really heavy focus on the, you know, psychological health of the patient. So is this area now looking at FMD, is this your primary focus? How do you guys you know, address that, deal with that. When somebody's coming in to see you, our program is, is a FMD, a movement disorder. How do you address that if they have that component of something going on from a psychological standpoint? Sure. So 
Although um, most patients have a psychological component that impacts their symptoms, it's not the primary focus anymore. Um, You know, we talk about the puzzle. Like if you think about um, contributing factors like a pie chart, mental health is just one piece of that. So that might be a small piece. Yeah, because the research just showed that really only 40%. Mm -hmm. So it's really not as much as we, I think, thought when we started. Mm -hmm. So yeah, keep going. Yep. So yeah, that was basically it. But mental health piece is, is a small piece of the puzzle. Um, but you know, it could be a bigger piece of, of the puzzle for, for others. So Mm -hmm. it's still just a really important thing to address. We all have mental health and, and it's always, you know, a good thing to kind of exercise. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that, you know, leading right into part of our team in the FMD program here is we do have a clinical social worker who is a counselor and she is involved in this program. And the individuals that um, participate in the one week program do spend time with the counselor where she does address some of those, some of those needs. Um, so, Elaborate on that a little bit, Alicia, on having that team member and how are they helpful in the whole process of the week-long program. Yeah, so it's really important that we're addressing all of the contributing factors in order to provide a comprehensive program. If we are only focused on the movement aspect, that is only one piece of that pie chart. So we have um, the counselor involved and she will help in um, teaching just other coping strategies, reinforcing our strategies that we're using in our sessions, and then addressing any history of mental health um, issues or anything that may be contributing to their symptoms. So since you're talking about the team, Mm -hmm. how do you guys as a team keep that communication going? Especially I would think after the first day, you know, you all spend some time with the individual, you evaluate the individual, and then it sounds like it's so important that you guys get together, have a chat, and kind of say, here's the direction we're going. So how do you guys do that in your team setting? Yeah, so we have a couple of, like, stru- well, we have a structured meeting that the evalu- evaluating PT and I meet every Monday after our, our evaluations and have kind of a structured sheet that we wor- work off of to communicate with the whole team. Um, but then after that, it's really just, like, little sprinkles of conversation throughout the whole day um, that, you know, everyone gets on the same page and just the constant feedback I get from our patients is like, wow, you guys really do talk to each other. <laughs> like that. I tell one of you and then, you know, Molly, and then somebody else knows in the afternoon and it's, um, you know, they're just blown away by that because they don't feel like our physicians communicate with each other. You know, they're seeing a cardiologist and their family medicine doctor and they're seeing all these different doctors and no one's putting it all together. And so they think they get, they feel really comfortable here because we're all, well, you it's know, it's putting those pieces of the puzzle together mm-hmm. and the importance that you do communicate. And I think that's why we have so much success in this program because mm-hmm. that is for anybody out there that's listening and, you know, thinking of developing a multidisciplinary team, that communication. We are very fortunate here in the Lansing Clinic where the program's held where these guys all share an office space together. And I think that helps a little bit that you can kind of look over your shoulder and say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, I forgot to tell you this. And you guys can kind of talk about the case to make sure that you're all moving in the same direction. Before, Alicia, before we get to, I want you to give an example of kind of an OT session like Olivia did. I want to ask you something. So I, I read about this abnormal feed forward mechanism that the literature is starting to talk about with one of the reasons of why we're seeing FMD. Can you elaborate a little bit about that to our audience? Sure. I think the best way to explain this is with an example. So you're, let's say you're in the airport and you see the people mover, like the moving sidewalk, right? And so as you approach that moving sidewalk, you you can see, you, you notice that the sidewalk's moving, and so you need to adjust your gait pattern so that you don't fall, either getting on or getting off. So that is that feed-forward processing that you're doing. With FMD, these folks have that abnormal feed-forward processing. So they are 
you know, having these wonky movements, um, whether reaching or stepping or, or whatever it is, and it's inaccurate based on the environment. So we use um, diaphragmatic breathing to calm the nervous system and then mental practice of the appropriate motor, motor pattern uh, prior to actual physical practice. And then, you know, before getting like in too deep on everything, you know, we're just basically trying to get a lot of repetitions of that proper motor pattern. Is there a sensory deficit? So there, you know, that's absolutely could be one part of the one part of the puzzle, puzzle. right? Okay. Some people okay. may be, um, you know, and you know what, that's something that we are um, all in adding some, some more of that into specifically OT, helping patients understand what do you need in your sensory diet? What are you lacking in your sense? What are you sensory averse to? You know, there's some things that maybe you can think of off the top of your head. Usually like yogurt can be like a common one for people like that people either like that texture or don't but there are other things that maybe people don't realize that um maybe are a little bit triggering to them if they get too months too much of that sensation uh but that that gets all personalized with the patient yeah, and i think you know one of the things that ot's are so good at is that sensory integration piece mm-hmm. you know that you're right if that's a either a hyper focus or a trigger or just seeing it or hearing it, that abnormal feed forward that you just said, and all of a sudden it triggers that abnormal movement. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's kind of learning to damper that down and allowing the nervous system to be able to process that normally. Because mm-hmm. one of the things we're going to talk to Juliana about is the heart rate variability. Yep. And I know that we've had a podcast just on heart rate variability and what we're seeing is that this heart rate variability is such a influence effect on fmd but can be an effect on depression and anxiety and and other things that we are seeing in the world that we we function in and work in so thanks alicia Mm -hmm. you were awesome let's talk to juliana okay juliana you are our speech and language expertise oh, in you. FMD. <laughs> I know, I know. So a lot of people, I think out there will be like, all right, I kind of get it. They have an abnormal gait pattern. I'm going to go see Olivia. They may have an abnormal upper extremity or when they're walking. So we're going to see Alicia. So we are seeing, though, a lot of these patients that may have a speech deficit, but also language Cognition. So let's start with you and tell me a little bit about some of the things you may see in your area of expertise. Right. So a lot of people shorten it to speech therapy. So they just think about that speech part, which is a component. So some speech deficits could be stuttering, um, what we like to call disfluencies. They affect the smoothness of speech, um, slurred speech, really slow rate, effortful speech. Also, um, voice volume that can almost go down to a whisper. Um, but what a, other things that we're finding now is the cognitive piece that impacts a lot of people. That can be fog or cognitive fatigue. It can be um, word finding um, or like the non-motor symptoms of executive functioning. And executive functioning issues can really impact quality of life. And they don't really get a lot of empathy from others because it's not visual. Um, there's a lot of work on the patient's end to explain what they're going through, and that can really increase anxiety and depression about those symptoms. Absolutely. And one of the things I didn't even touch on, and there's so much now data out there, that these patients that typically are diagnosed with either FND or FMD, typically it's not a one-stop shop to be diagnosed, Right. It is a long process and can take years before they really are accurately diagnosed with a functional movement disorder or a functional neurological disorder, which is exhausting because as you just said, telling that story over and over again and probably losing a little confidence Mm -hmm. in our healthcare system because they then are sent to here, to there, maybe put on this medication or this therapist, and nothing's changing. Things may be getting worse, which can be extremely 
disabling mm-hmm. for for these individuals. Can you give us an example? You pick whatever you typically see of how you treat that, especially in a one-week program. Right. So I'll focus on both branches of speech and language. Um, When it comes to, let's take a disfluency or like a stutter that most people refer it to, um, instead of trying to avoid that block or that stutter, because sometimes that can make it even bigger and more pronounced, I like them to just identify the feeling of it happening and ease into the sentence that they're trying to say with an intentional breath. So sometimes when we try to avoid something, it can make it even bigger. Um, The other piece that I'm really starting to focus on a lot now is the executive functioning skills, um, which I like to talk or um, explain as our brain's self-management abilities, Um, being able to plan and prioritize things, time management, Uh, attention and task switching. We talk a lot about dual tasking, and sometimes that's hard to go from one thing to another. Um, And realizing that maybe your attention shouldn't be drawn to the other thing, you should be sticking to that one task. Um, And also goal setting and sequencing to achieve those goals. So we focus a lot on setting achievable goals and breaking that down into smaller tasks, um, trying to limit distractions to support attention. Um, prioritizing tasks while acknowledging the reality of cognitive fatigue. And I really um, frequently use the spoon theory, which talks about cognitive fatigue and how um, all these occupations or activities that we're trying to do throughout the day take units of energy. And sometimes we don't have any more spoons to give. We have the tendency to go till we just can't go anymore. And we're not Um, giving true value to all the work our brain is doing, whether it's a physical task or carrying on a conversation like this. Um, So using that spoon theory to kind of plan and prioritize the things that not, not just they have to do, but like brings enjoyment and things that they want to do. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love that. I want to ask you, and again, I think the next question I'm going to ask is about heart rate variability and breathing. And this definitely is an approach, a technique that is used across all disciplines, anybody that makes contact with a patient that's in our five-day program. Um, I, I always, I believe that breath is so important. First of all, we need our breath to breathe or to live. But also for speaking, right? Mm-hmm. Because that really softness, if the volume goes down, and I know we talk about this a lot with just our Parkinson's patients, for example, right. is really getting that ability to take that deep breath, to use your diaphragm, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all that new science out there on heart rate variability, being stuck in a sympathetic state, fight or flight versus that parasympathetic state, rest or digest. Why don't you elaborate a little bit on that and just share with everybody kind of what it is basically and why is that important for this kind of diagnosis, this kind of patient? Okay. So first with breathing, um, the breathing that we do can impact our autonomic nervous system, which is ANS. We like the shortened phrases here. Um, So the autonomic nervous system is broken down into sympathetic or which is considered fight or flight, and the parasympathetic nervous system, kind of rest and digest. Um, While a lot of those functions are out of our control because of all the different muscles involved, we can control our breathing to an extent. Um, When we engage in diaphragmatic breathing, we allow for that relaxation and reduce of stress to happen. We lower our heart rate and blood pressure and encourage a full oxygen exchange. And it also um, strengthens the diaphragm and encourages muscle stability. The diaphragm is really important in breathing, but also it helps us maintain posture and core stability. So we incorporate breathing in every single therapy, um, even in speech, because we do get power for our speech from our breath. Um, And we encourage smooth, slow, and controlled inhalation through the nose to really ensure engagement of the diaphragm. And you allow the belly to expand during that inhale and then slowly and smoothly exhaling through the mouth to allow your belly to relax and gently tighten. And we encourage sometimes to place your hand on your belly to really connect with that movement. Um, Now, is there, and I think Olivia might have mentioned the M wave. 
Alicia did. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> is that something that yep. you guys use in each session? Or how do you guys use that? I can hop on that one if you want. <laughs> um, so I get this the baseline on the with the M wave to see like how are you breathing when you're just focused on your breathing, and then we want to see can we translate you know good deep diaphragmatic breathing to sitting to standing to moving to walking to eating the salad doing the functional activity. Uh, because we're often finding that people with FMD, their symptoms are almost immediately triggered as soon as they start holding their breath. They often are trying to not have the tremor when they reach out to pick up their coffee cup. And so they're tensing up, holding their breath, sending themselves into fight or flight, which is making their tremor worse. And they're spilling their coffee, which is now they're getting upset. And as you can see, it kind of like uh, domino effects on itself. So we're showing them with this biofeedback device how they can improve how breathing and having, um, you know, a nice smooth sine wave with their breath can be translated to the functional activity, less tremors. Right. And I think, you know, just this is a nice device. Like you said, it gives them that biofeedback because Mm -hmm. just trying to explain, I want you to feel this somebody with fmd exactly exactly when they're thinking internally i'm going to breathe like this and feel this it can exacerbate and make things much much worse so again Mm -hmm. as olivia said we're using that kind of almost that external tool to teach them to recognize to reset that here is how we're going to breathe and how that directly affects the nervous system Um, as I said, the program that we do is a five day program. And Olivia, I want to ask you this, not that all of us don't do this, but, um, just so our audience, if anybody's interested in the program, they kind of get a better idea of what it looks like on that five day program. At the end of the five days, what happens? Does a patient go home with something or is it like, See you later. Good luck. (laughs) No. So, yeah. So patients get a binder at the beginning of the week, and that has um, already got some resources for them. It has a journal that they kind of do throughout the week, and then we will add to it as we go with home exercise programs um, and other resources as we see fit. So they take that home, um, and then they can kind of reference and review that as needed once they're back in their home environment. And then they get personalized discharge recommendations from the whole team. So we work together on creating a plan for them once they leave. So they're not left empty-handed by any means. We try to set them up for success as best we can. Um, And we give them a little certificate of completion of the program, which is nice. And um, they also get the video. So we take videos of them on the first day and on the last day of those outcome measures that are taken so that they can like visually see their progress. So they get copies of those videos as well. It sounds like you're providing tools and the tools, absolutely, Absolutely. you know, the tools that help that individual with success, because one of the things is that you guys are exceptional at what you do and our success rate is so great, but it's a lifelong working on the tools and working on these, all of these things that you guys talk about to make sure that they can have that quality of life that they want to have. Alicia, um, you know, one of the questions that sometimes I know Megan gets these questions more than, than I do, but do you ever recommend additional therapy or counseling at the end if the five days just we didn't reach that outcome that everybody anticipated in the team? Sure. The answer to this one is yes and no. It really, <laughs> it really depends on the patient and their contributing factors. We usually, for the most part, always recommend continued counseling. How, however, PT and OT is really situational and often focused on maybe they have orthopedic issues or some other contributing factor, but they should have what they need to continue to make progress when they leave us on Friday. Not just physically in the binder, but they should feel confident in knowing how to apply the strategies that they've learned. And again, I'm speaking for Megan because one of the questions she may get, and Juliana, I'm going to ask you this, is she'll get a call, and it might be six months from when they left our program with lots of success, maybe not participating, doing their tools, doing their home exercise program, and are asking Megan, can I come back into the program? 
So again, it's a generally speaking, no. Um, and a, you're right, they're given the tools and it's unique to them and we've collaborated with them to develop um, supports for them when they leave our program. And they should take time to really review that workbook um, and apply what they've learned. But also it depends on what the client's reporting that they're going through. Um, we do want them to first pause and take note um, maybe identify triggers that have happened, um, really sit with what they're experiencing and connect with how their body's responding. Um, there'll be days that fluctuate and we just don't want them to think that the presence of a symptom is necessarily a regression. Um, we want them to really pause and reflect, use the tools that they have. And if their symptoms persist and are impacting their quality of life, we do want them to call us and we'll collaborate together about what the next steps should be. You know, that just leads me to a question, just so the audience knows, what about follow-up? And either one, anybody can answer that, but do we do some form of a follow-up after the week-long program? Yeah, so included in, uh, there is the uh, pre-program fee, and so included in that fee um, is a three-month follow-up. So. Um, if you live out of state, you don't need to come all the way back to Michigan, but that's nice that it's um, included. So we'll meet with you either virtually or coming into the clinic and just see like, how are you doing? What's working? What's not working? What, you know, what else, what else can we give you? Cause there's always new research coming out. Right. So, you know, that's kind of that's nice awesome. that we can like check in that helps people with like goal setting too. Cause they realize like, okay, when I leave, I'm going to come back and see you and, in three months, so that helps them kind of put a timeline, and, well, and they that, know they're in with be that transition because yeah. it's almost like what you're cutting the cord and you're letting me go out there yeah. in the world yes. now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that. I get mm-hmm. that. So, Megan, I'm going to have um, ask you a couple questions. We get a lot of these questions just about the program itself and how to become a patient in the program. So Megan, again, is um, a doctor of physical therapy, and she's our um, program director and, of course, a program director over the FMD program. So a lot of the time she's the one that before they start the program and see these team of experts here, you you may talk to Megan. So Megan, let's start with when you are evaluating applications, Who's appropriate for the program? Sure. So the first requirement is that you do have to have a definitive diagnosis of a functional movement disorder, which, as you already highlighted, can be quite the journey to get there. But we have found that that's a really important component because not only do they need the diagnosis, but they need to have a understanding of what the diagnosis is and um, also an acceptance of the diagnosis, which can be sometimes a barrier when you've lost some faith, as you mentioned, in the medical establishment. But what we've seen is without those components, there's less of a chance of success in the program. So um, those things are required first. And as you mentioned, our primary focus of the program is on um, mostly motor um, symptoms and motor control. So if someone has um, really no motor symptoms, and let's say it's just pain, um, they might not be as good of a candidate for our particular program. So um, Alicia kind of mentioned this regarding a cost to the program. And so I want you to elaborate on that, but also does insurance cover the program? Yeah, good question. So everyone's insurance is different. So the first thing is that we need to find out actually what their um, insurance is, make sure we're in network, all of those fun logistical things. And then um, usually the components of the program that include PT and OT and speech are covered by insurance. There are components of the program that are not, and that's, like Alicia mentioned, there is a $400 program fee. It's a one-time fee that not only secures someone's week in the um, program, but it also includes the pre-program materials that the team discussed. It includes daily uh, mindfulness meditation sessions as part of the program, and then it includes that three-month follow-up. So how do you sign up? Yeah, good question. So what you need to do is once you have that diagnosis from um, your neurologist, you need to reach out to us and um, give us a call and send that script our way. And then our um, wonderful admin team sends you a link to an online survey. And um, what that is is a just an overview of asking some questions about your symptoms, um, 
for example, if you have you know, symptoms in your leg, in your arm, if you have difficulty with speech, just trying to get an idea, an overall picture to make sure that this program is going to benefit you. Um, There's some additional questions in there about um, past medical history. And then another important piece is how often you're having those symptoms. Because if someone's only having symptoms once a month, we really don't want them to come and spend a week here of their time and then not have any symptoms that we can address. So all of that is in that survey. And then when they fill that out, it comes to me and then I review it and follow up with them and and we discuss if it's a good match or not. Perfect. So here's a big question. Are you ready? (laughs) Will the program cure my FMD and what is our success rate? Yeah. So the, you know, the really the answer about the cure to that is that there's no definitive cure for for FMD. We look at this as a lot of other conditions we treat here, specializing in neurological disorders, that you may likely live with this um, in different capacities throughout your life. Like it might, you might have like a flare up similar to what somebody would with MS, let's say. So we don't say that we are curing you by the end of the five days, but like these guys mentioned, you have the tools to succeed and hopefully manage this long in the long term. Yeah, and, and I always, you know, on our website, guys, it's www.therecoveryproject.net. If you just look under the FMD program, there's this video of one of our patients. And to me, not being part of this team treating on a regular basis, what you guys do to change somebody's quality of life is incredible. So I personally want to thank you guys because you change people's lives. And I know that as a therapist, that is so much that you're so grateful for and feeling that what you do every day, all that blood, sweat and tears, <laughs> right? It really does pay off because these people that have been through the medical, the medical environment sometimes for years. And I know I've heard stories that there are some people that you have seen that have had these symptoms for a decade. And they're all shaking their head. You guys can't see this. Um, and that you you change. You change their lives. So you all have to feel so awesome about yourself because it is such a beautiful, beautiful thing. Megan, one last question because we tend to get this. If people have additional questions that maybe we did not address in this podcast, what do they do? Sure, you can reach out to us um, through our website. At, as you mentioned, it's um, www.therecoveryproject.net or send an email to info at therecoveryproject.net. Um, you can DM us on social media, any anything like that, we will happily um, respond. Because as you mentioned, there aren't a lot of programs out there, but we know that this is really prevalent. So um, feel free to reach out if you have any questions. Well, I want to, again... Thank all these people sitting in this room for me. I am I am so proud and so blessed to have you guys be part of the Recovery Project. So thank you, and I will see you all next time. Thanks. Thank you for listening to today's Evidence to Excellence News and Neuroplasticity and Rehab Podcast. We appreciate you and hope that you come back every fourth Tuesday of the month to get more of what's new in evidence and research in the neurorehabilitation world. To learn more about The Recovery Project or to find out what we're up to next, you can visit us anytime at therecoveryproject.net.